Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Inch by inch, row by row. Gonna make this start Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour. Already the third Saturday of the month. Next weekend will be Thanksgiving, and today we've got Jay Harper in studio. If you're following along the home maintenance calendar, you see we're talking plant, trees, and shrubs. But if you'd like to join the conversation, call the toll-free number, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Text questions can be sent to 411-923, or you can email us, info at rosieonthehouse.com, if you need to snap a picture and for a little plant or insect identification. And... I know, uh, I know you've said for years, Jay, that this is just your favorite time of year. Fall in Arizona is your favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I know spring is always kind of synonymous with gardening, right? And I think in Arizona, fall, or at least in, in our part of Arizona, <clears throat> fall is, is really truly our quote-unquote spring. Um, you know, with the, the rough weather which is summer here, not winter, is behind us. And the milder season is a long season ahead of us. Uh, so as the, you know, as the days get shorter and the nights get cooler and you can just kind of smell it in there, and now we're, we're, we're full on into it. It's actually a little bit chilly in the mornings. Um, I actually put a jacket on yesterday morning because I was out pretty early. That was kind of nice. A jacket? What is that? Yeah, I know. I had to dig. For, I had to go digging for it. <clears throat> and uh, my my son uh, said, "Dad, there's all these average." I had uh, my jacket on last night, mm-hmm. and it's uh, Carhartt and slogan. He's like, "I've been seeing that advertised everywhere. How come?" I'm like, "Well, there's very few times they advertise in Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at right. least in our part of Arizona. Maybe a little bit more in the mountains, but it's like, yeah, it's." It's not something you see a lot of jacket advertisements for. <laughs> so I think the the fact that you know now you know you know the great weather is ahead of us for a, quite a while. Where spring, you know, it's beautiful, but you know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's coming. Like, it's kind of like that old Lou Holtz statement. I there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and you just it's hope it's not a train. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like spring to me. Oh. It's like it's a light at the end of the tunnel, but there's a train, train coming. Train coming. It ain't it isn't the other end of the tunnel. It's a train coming so at you call summer. Coming. And for many reasons, it's a, the optimal time of year to be planting. For a lot of reasons, this is a great time to plant trees and shrubs. People don't, I don't think, take advantage of it near enough. And I know it gets busy. We start, you know, next week we get into holidays. It's Thanksgiving and then... You know, Christmas is here in the blink of an eye, and uh, but uh, October, November are just fabulous times to plant, especially trees, I think, because you take advantage of the fact that the soil is still relatively warm. So soil and water, if you remember your old biology class, soil and water temperatures don't change near as fast as air temperatures. So the air has cooled down considerably, but the soil is still relatively warm so you put a plant roots and in the in the plant before it can grow when you transplant a plant it has to take root first before it'll put on any stem or leaf growth 
So we put a plant in the ground. The ground is still relatively warm. That The roots are comfortable. They start growing a little bit. But the air is cool enough that, the, you know, when we plant in a warm weather, you're worried about watering enough and keeping it well watered and let, not letting the plant dry out. Those concerns are not near as great when the ambient air temperatures are cool. The days are shorter. The stress on the on the foliage part of the plant, the, the the amount of moisture it's losing through its foliage is way down, and so it doesn't take near as much concern or as or as attentiveness to keep a plant well watered, and yet the warm soil is letting the the roots grow. So you may not see any new growth on the top of a plant with the plant, but those roots are rooting. Now, that rooted plant, as soon as the soil temperatures start to warm up next February, March, it's, it's like getting shot out of a slingshot. It, it's, <laughs> it's, that plant has already established its roots to some degree, and you get a little warm weather, a little longer day, the soil temperature goes up, and it's almost like gaining a full year of, of planting as opposed to just three or four months. Uh, gain. So, you know, if you've got a landscape project you're considering, uh, and, and trees are always should always be the first thing that you get in the ground because you can't make up for lost time. You know, the old saying is the best time to have planted a tree was 25 years ago. The next best day is today because you just lose you lose time every day, and especially. You know, as we start getting a little gray around the edges, and you know, we don't have <laughs> we don't have maybe thirty or forty years to watch that tree grow anymore. So, you know, get those trees in the ground, and especially this time of year, you will gain yourself a little time if you'll get them in the ground now. And trees, we have so many varieties in Arizona. You've got a wonderful list of all your natives, but you've also got some great evergreens and some great deciduous, and a, a lot of fruit trees. Yeah, if you want to do an edible, you know, landscape, of course, citrus. This is one of the five C's is citrus, right? So it's it's a great time to to plant citrus. We're getting into the time where stone fruits, you know, peaches, apricots, plums. Great time to plant those all winter long. Um, so any, you know, any if you if you need a tree, and you, and you you know, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be maybe a great big spreading shade tree that you can walk under. Um, you know, citrus and fruit trees are, are an awesome option. Uh, and you can, the nice thing about fruit trees, you can also get dwarf varieties. So if it's a small space or even containers, let's say you live in a condo or a patio home and all you have is a, is a, you know, maybe a little courtyard or something where you can do dwarf fruit trees in containers quite nicely in, in those kind of situations. So they're very versatile. And there's a lot of ways to do it. You know, there's plenty of great nurseries around the state of Arizona, it's, uh, locally owned, that have great varieties, great selections. Mm-hmm. Some may specialize in one area over another. Some may have their own growing site here, and then they bring them to the nursery. Some might bring them in from out of state. Some do a little bit of both. But there's also a lot of uh, – I know it doesn't really solve the plant today where you could, but there are so many – associations, organizations out there, like Salt River Project does their annual tree giveaway where they Mm -hmm. give away, I don't know how many uh, mesquite starter plants, but it's thousands. The um, Arizona Sustainable Alliance uh, just passed their 1,000th tree planted uh, in a community. You've got the 
watershed management group does tree planting trees matter uh, dot org does it. I mean, there's there's a lot of community involvement out there on and revolving around this that maybe if you're not sure what you want to plant or you want to go volunteer and help learn a couple uh, planting scenarios from mm-hmm. people that do it regularly before you start your own. You know, there's there's no shortage of ways and they're all happy for volunteers and you'd be you know learning more hands on as well. Great idea. And, uh, you know, see all the information you can get um, certainly helps. I know the, uh, you know, the extension, county extension from the University of Arizona has usually in January, I believe, has a citrus tasting uh, clinic where you can actually try different fruits. I mean, if people ask, you know, what should I plant? What variety? So, well, plant what you like to eat because with citrus in particular, you're going to get lots of fruit. And, you know, there's no sense planting. If you don't like to eat or can't eat grapefruit, don't plant a grapefruit tree. Um, <laughs> but there's so many good varieties of grapefruit, too. The Pink Ladies are favorite. In fact, I've often thought about ripping out the other two mm. uh, just to put in Pink Lady because that seems to be the one that we eat the most of, the fast of, and we always run out of, and we never run out of the other ones. Oh, well, there you go. So, um, you know, plant plant what you like to eat. If you don't like you know, peaches because of the fuzz. Don't plant a peach. Plant a nectarine or plant an apricot or, you know, something like that. So, uh, the nice thing about citrus is you don't have to pick them all at once. I mean, they hang on the tree a long time. You got a long time to harvest them to take them off the tree and use them. Where stone fruits, peaches, apricots, you know, plums, those sorts of things. I mean, when they're ripe, they're all ripe pretty much, and uh, you got to beat the birds to them and. And well, and off the tree. and to get a really good crop harvest, you've got it to do a lot more thinning and maintenance and and pruning the citrus. You can just leave alone. And in fact, you should explode. leave alone. Please, please <laughs> leave them alone. <laughs> you don't have to do any crop thinning. You don't have to yeah. do any. Uh, and like you said, months. I mean, and you can plant it. So maybe this tree, you know, each tree may have fruit for three or four months that you could harvest off of it, but you can space it. So like your limes and your lemons come in first and then mm-hmm. your oranges and grapefruits phase in. So your citrus season, if you've got enough room to do a couple of varieties, you could go, you know, yeah, I, I think my, it's I, almost a, like I start getting months. I start getting limes in August that are usable, you know, and, and then lemons are now and, you know, tangerines will be here in a few. They're getting pretty ready. Um, you know, and then the the uh, navels will be right after that, and then the tangent, and then the grapefruit. Really, I mean, almost through the summer, um, they're usable. So, in fact, I don't think grapefruit are really even good until about March, hmm. in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, you're right. You can until they start getting so hot that the fruit just kind of goes bad hanging on the tree. You darn near have a year-round deal. And then if you wanted to have your, – then your stone – if you had a combination of citrus and deciduous fruits, you know, then May, June, and July is when your deciduous fruit trees start producing. So mm-hmm. you you've conceivably have, uh, you know, a year-round, you know, August, your limes start again. So, um, yeah, you have a pretty much a year-round harvest with fruit trees here if you have enough room to have that many trees. One – it's the reason why virtually all the five C's of Arizona have to do around weather. I mean, cattle, 
It's because we've got great weather. Cotton, it's because we've got great weather. I mean, copper, that one's kind of the only one that you can't really tie into it. But all the other things, it's because weather is one of them, but we wouldn't have the cotton and the cattle and the citrus without the great weather. <laughs> True. And, and, and uh, yeah, and, and the diverse, diverseness, diversity, diversityness. <laughs> Diversifying. <laughs> we have such a diverse humana, humana. state. <laughs> Uh, you know, weather-wise, that you you know, I mean, from northern Arizona to central Arizona to southern Arizona to Yuma to Flagstaff, where you can, you know, have all these things pretty much year-round. Well, trees aren't the only thing you can plant this time of year. It's also a great year for color great time of year for color all the nators yeah yeah you know uh, all of our cool season annuals uh, geraniums petunias pansies all those goodies are you know just yeah. anything you think about in it, most other places in the country that you'd plant for you know your summer bedding plants and color you can do now here <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and and then you know uh, so perennials blooming perennials that are you know more of your pollinators, things like I noticed pulling in uh, this morning. The the red fairy dusters are in full bloom. That's a great hummingbird attractor, um, great pollinator. So lots of lots of cool stuff that you can plant this time of year. And vegetables. I mean, we're still. Oh, I, we could have started much earlier, but if you hadn't yet, and for some reason, I. It seems like Thanksgiving week is usually the week if I get a fall vegetable garden. It's on that extended day. Mm-hmm. And I always seem to have the most success with that one. And I don't know what it is or why it is. I don't know if it's the time of year or my pattern or what the case. But that is, in my experience, I've, I've had the most success when I plant this time of year. Well, it's certainly less stressful on the plants to plant right now than it is. When it's still 100 degrees and you could start your winter vegetables here in, you know, September when it's still pretty warm. But if you did that then, you can start again now. And we've talked before about having multiple crops. So you don't have, you know, all of your spinach at once. You can have small batches several times throughout the winter because it's a long enough season where you can have, you know, lettuces, spinaches, different greens coming on in intervals spaced out through the winter months. So yeah, if you, even if you did some earlier, you can do some again now. Um, it's a great time. So, and then we, you know, something we never, we don't talk much about are our fall planted bulbs. So things like daffodils and tulips and narcissus and ranunculus and those types of things, you know, can still be planted, uh, this time of year, and of course, you know everybody kind of thinks about amaryllis, the big, great, big, blooming, you know, different colors that, that that are given a lot as a Christmas gift, and they actually naturalize and do very, very well here in the ground. Um, they they'll be a spring bloomer once they make their first cycle through. Um, once you plant them in the ground, they won't bloom at Christmas time. Um, but they're fabulous uh, plants here. And, and uh, so, you know, just something to keep in mind if you got, you know, you want to do something kind of unique. The thing that's kind of cool, I still have, I've got a couple of 
spider lilies, and they come up so that they they bloom first. So I, every year in about September, there here comes this big spike of you know with yellow flowers. Like oh yeah, I forgot about you. And uh, so that's kind of cool with bulbs. You you sometimes forget that they're there and they surprise you. Uh, and are those the ones that you have to take out and put in the, refri- the freezer no, a certain time of year? It's basically tulips and hyacinths, which I you know I don't really recommend for here. It, that's fine if you want to mess with that, but you do you have to simulate winter chill. We don't get cold enough for long enough to to force them to bloom. So you have to refrigerate them, store them, and refrigerate them. Or even if you buy new ones at the nursery or garden center, you have to take them home and put them in the refrigerator to get them to bloom. So there are so many other great options, you know, all the different daffodils and narcissus. And uh, So all through the summer, you're tricking it that it's winter, and then you plant them in our winter, and it thinks it's its summer, and it blooms. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just... You know, that sounds just, like a lot of work. <laughs> it's just a triggering mechanism. Some things, like like certain fruit trees, they need to have a certain amount of hours chill of hours. winter chill mm-hmm. before they'll produce, uh, you know, uh, reliable fruit. Um, you know, some bulbs are the same way. They're meant to be planted and have snow fall on them and have cold ground and and then wake up and then grow out and bloom. So we obviously don't get a lot of snow or cold ground here. Oh. No, but National Weather Service did announce that it is the morning. It was 45 degrees, which is seven degrees below normal for it's this been, time of year. It's been a little chilly the last few mornings. Yeah, we're, we've had a little weather. I've noticed, you know, and, and if, the other thing is we don't have a lot of it. But if you drive around things like Chinese pistachios and evergreen pears, flowering pears, starting to get a little fall color on them here. So that's kind of fun to have that. So if you, that's the other thing to plant, to think about when you're choosing a tree or a shrub, is it may not bloom per se, but, you know, some things will give you some fall color. Uh, Nandina or heavenly bamboo, as it's called, uh, Dodonea, hopseed. You know, some of those, the leaves turn purpley or, you know, purple fountain grass is kind of a neat one to have. Uh, so some of the grasses that bloom, like the regal mist, blooms in the winter, uh, fall. So there's some other ways to get color in the landscape besides just flowers. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you to join the conversation about anything you want to talk about in your garden or landscape. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. It's the most wonderful time. Whoa, 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 whoa! No, this no, isn't. This it, isn't KEC. I, I, I have to reserve comment on KEC. I used to work there. <laughs> no, but it is the most wonderful time of the year to plant trees and shrubs. Oh, yeah. There we go. All right. All right. So is that like Steve Lawrence? Who is no, singing? That's Andy Williams. Andy Williams. Andy Williams. Oh, okay. He had a Christmas special every year. Oh, yeah. There yeah. is a, a network. I think it's called Get TV. And they'll show some of those old uh, Christmas shows, Bing Crosby, sure. Andy Williams. And it's funny to see Donny Osmond, eight years old, singing. <laughs> <laughs> now he's uh, like 68 or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it is, you know, the uh, most wonderful time of the year to live in Phoenix. Now we, now we know why we put up with the long, rugged summer is uh, we get a, a long, beautiful 
cool season, whatever you want to call it, winter, fall, spring, <laughs> all combined into to something. Um, but we, we uh, so we were talking about one thing we, we didn't uh, mention was, you know, winter lawns, overseeding. So most of that's probably done if you were going to have a, a uh, you know, green, you know, Bermuda grasses, which are our, our base lawns here, if, you know, are go dormant. As soon as it's the nights get colder, and especially if you get a frost, you know they'll start turning brown. Which you know, there's nothing wrong with that if you don't want to overseed. That's fine. Um, but if you you know intend to use your lawn a lot through the winter time, you probably don't want to be out there beating down on that dormant Bermuda grass. If you especially have dogs, they track in all that dry grass, and you know <laughs> um, it can get and, and then it can actually do some damage if you know. If you're out impacting it a lot, so if you don't want green grass through the winter months, which is really, my opinion is that's when you should have a lawn here and let the you know not worry about the summer lawn. But that's another topic for another day. <laughs> um, well, just, you've said it, your feeling is it, it's these winter lawns require less water, and this is when we're using less water. Where we use more water in the summer, so well, ignore your Bermuda lawn and let that water be used for well, other purposes. Well, and depending on the on the season, on the year, there's been winters where I virtually have not watered my winter lawn all. Once you've got it up and established, and we start getting, you know, a, a few winter storms every few weeks, you just turn the clock off and you're good. Um, so. And they go a long time if if you've got any kind of shaded area. As our mulberries continue to grow, mm-hmm. our Bermuda lawn and the front continues to shrink underneath its canopy. But that winter rye, it'll stay green, gosh, it seems like well into past May. Usually until the months, until the nights don't cool. You get those first, you know, when the, the low is 92 <laughs> Or something like that. that and that's at 4 o'clock in the morning yeah, for about 30 seconds. That'll <laughs> kind of do them in. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's most of the year you can have it. And, you know, I, I get what they're, you know, we're trying to conserve water. We have, you know, we live in a desert, number one. We don't have a lot of water, number two. We've got a lot of people moving here. A lot more demand on our water resource. Uh, and, you know, we haven't had the best winter moisture the last few winters to you know, fill things up, particularly the Colorado River watershed. Um, so I understand that's probably the easy one of the easiest ways to get people to. And most of our water is used outdoors, not in the house. Um, is to tell people not to plant a winter lawn, and I get it. I think you should take it on a case by case basis. If if you don't use your outdoor space in the winter time much, there's no re- well. Why do you have a lawn to begin with? Um, it's it's for, you know. It's to be used, you know, for dogs, kids, pets, you know, playing games or whatever. Um, if you just want a green, something green to look at, put it in an artificial turf lawn. You know, if you just want green space, if you're not going to be, if it's not utilitarian per se. And uh, you've converted a big portion of your of lawn, all of it now. All of it. All of it. I, and, ha- I have all artificial turf. And when we're talking... You know, square foot wise, is that a thousand square feet? Is that uh, so? Backyard is probably total front and backs about a thousand, I'd guess. 
you know, maybe a little less. And it's you've got it all converted now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have no kids. I have currently no dogs, so there's no reason to have a a, a actual living lawn per se. Other than I like the I like to look at the green. Um, so that, to me, it was it made sense. It's also lower maintenance. Like you know, we like to get out of here once in a while and have to worry about mowing the lawn, watering the lawn, that sort of thing. So anyway, that's a great alternative. But if you're going to have a if you're going to have a lawn, have a great lawn. <laughs> don't have a crappy. If you're not going to take <laughs> if you're not going to invest in your lawn, then don't have one. Have gravel or granite or artificial turf or pavers or you know something you can enjoy uh, and match it to your lifestyle. Uh, but if you're going to have a lawn, have a great one. Overseed it in the wintertime. Uh, all this to say, if you haven't planted a winter lawn, you can still do it. You can do it all winter. It will come up. It will come in. It will take longer as the soil temperatures cool down. But but you can do it this time of year. Um, if you've had one in and it's been mowed several times, I would encourage you to get some fertilizer on it because what can happen if we do get, and we said we're running colder than normal in our morning lows, if we get that first frost, it can really yellow out that ryegrass if it's not well nourished. And it's hard to get them to green back up when it's cold. So I would make sure you get some fertilizer on that lawn after the second or third mowing. And then realistically, you ought to fertilize it about every four to six weeks through the winter months, just like you do your, and that'll also help your underlying lawn stay healthy as well. So um, it uh, it's not too late. And if you've got one, let's keep it as green as possible. If not, then let's not have one. Now, two follow-ups on that. First one's on the fertilizer. Can you use the same stuff you were using for your Bermuda? You can, but there are fertilizers that work better in the colder weather. Um, uh, of course, you know, I'm a proponent of using an organic fertilizer. That's what I sell. Um, but um, Which is the farm's choice as the brand. Correct, yes, which you know, is a division of Hick- Hickman's eggs. So it's a, it's a pelletized chicken manure product. And it works, very local. It, 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 very <laughs> it's, local. It's not coming from very far away. <laughs> and it works. It works really well. It works well year round, but it works better when the weather is warmer. Um, but it will still continue to work um, through the winter months. There are some products. There, there's a product called Turf Royale, which is a blend of nitrogen, some ammoniacal, and and some nitrate nitrogens. And nitrate nitrogens work the best in the colder weather because it requires less conversions or less breakdowns into form the usable form of nitrogen for the plant. The microorganisms that do all of that is the, you know, just I'm trying to simplify this, but for the plant to be able to use it, it's got to be broken down to a certain form and it takes, you know, some help from nature to do that. And the colder it gets, the harder it is for that to happen. So the, the, the most readily available of nitrogen through the cold months is, is ammonium nitrate, which is what's used in a product called Turf Royale. So um, we used to be able to, to use and sell straight ammonium nitrate, but there's been certain occurrences around that uh, don't allow us to do much of that anymore. Yes. So um, anyway, that's, that's my two cents worth on lawns. 
texter uh, wrote in and wanted to know, not planning on a winter lawn, but they have Bermuda. Okay. Should they still water it occasionally to keep it healthy? Great question. Yes. Uh, depending on, again, depending on, you know, if we get sufficient winter moisture or not. You know, if it doesn't, if you don't have any rain for a few weeks, I'd say every three to four weeks, you should go ahead and water your your Bermuda grass just to keep some soil moisture available. Again, so that you don't get this, you know, just it can get kind of beat down, especially if you have some traffic on it. Um, but yeah, a, a, a good irrigation about once a month through the winter on a dormant Bermuda grass lawn, if it doesn't rain, is probably a good idea. Doesn't hurt anything, and you don't need a lot. Well, give it a good drink. Give it a, what you would a normal watering, um, uh, so that it gets down past the, the thatch of the lawn and into the soil deep enough to help. But uh, don't just give it a little sprinkle. Now, on the far spectrum of it, when you're talking about replacing it all with artificial turf, would you suggest somebody? If they didn't kill off their Bermuda, to go ahead and transition artificial turf or wait another growing season so you can kill it off? If you want to make sure it's really good and dead, you need to wait till it's actively growing to kill it. Um, you may think it's not coming back because it's dormant, but it will and it will rip up whatever it is you it put could, over it. It, it, <laughs> it could. Um, uh, certainly there's a lot of people that, that do winter law or do artificial turf conversions through the winter months. Um, but you do risk the chance that the Bermuda might come back. Although putting, you know, fabric and a bunch of decomposed granite and then the artificial turf on top and more more sand in that probably is enough to keep it pretty limited. But you know, could get you know along the edges and places where you could get some to come back. I, if I was doing it, I would certainly wait and make sure I had a good eradication of the Bermuda grass next spring. It's a it's a hardy plant. <laughs> it's tough. It's <laughs> tough stuff. That's why it grows here. You got to be tough to grow here. Now, us off of uh side from lawns and we've covered a lot. We've covered tree planting and we've gone through a lot of flowers. We've gone through different types. We've gone through uh the winter lawn maintenance and care. I mean, we're going into now the you know, the, you talked about fall lighting or fall color. Our fall colors usually are holiday lights, and we, <laughs> we, we wait for the yeah. deciduous trees to drop the leaves, and then we get up there and we string it and we pick out you know different yeah. branches and and have fun with it. But we're coming into our holiday lighting season. A uh, lot of uh, I hate seeing people using lots of nails driving it into okay. their trees to hang it or. If they wrap it tight and they don't take it off for a year or two, you know, collaring it, there's uh, there's some best practices in taking care of, of your trees if you plan on getting out there and stringing up a bunch of lights. Well, certainly not leaving them strung and letting the tree grow, you know, the trunk kind of just engulf the strings of lights. If you want to retrieve your lights, you ought to take them off. We did – we <clears> – when <throat> when I was – uh, probably junior high or high school, we've moved to a new house out way out in the middle of the country on Cactus Road in Pima, <laughs> which is the middle of Scottsdale now. But 
we planted a, an Aleppo pine tree on kind of the corner of the house, and we, for a few years, put Christmas lights in it. But as the tree grew, to make a long story short, as the tree matured and got 30 or 40 feet tall, there was still a string of lights <laughs> at the very up top, top of the tree. <laughs> that you had to look pretty close to find it, but it didn't get taken down one year, and then it got forgotten, and then all of a sudden the tree was too tall. It's like, oh, forget it. Leave, it there. Leave them there. <laughs> Just let it be. <clears throat> yeah. Plant your rose straight and long, seasoned with a prayer and song. Mother Earth will make you strong if you give her love and care. There's I don't know. We might have to go back to the Christmas music. That one's... <laughs> yeah. I could put some metal on if that'll help. <laughs> no. Uh, we had a texture want to know about St. Augustine grass. You don't see that very much in Arizona, but it does exist. Older parts of Phoenix, older parts of Mesa, where they have, especially if they have flit, still have flood irrigated lawns, um, it, you know, it was kind of a staple back, you know, probably in the 60s, 70s. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of fallen out of favor for a number of reasons. But, you know, that's, that's generally where you're going to see it or where it would do its best, where it can get, you know, a good amount of water, maybe even a little bit of shade. Doesn't necessarily need it, but you know, St. Augustine, where you see a lot of it's in you know Florida, the Bahamas. Uh, you know, it likes it likes tropical. You know, doesn't mind the heat, but it likes humidity and moisture. And you know, we obviously are not. You know, <clears throat> I don't have that humid level. We we you know can as, you as much as we think it gets humid here, it's not that humid <laughs> here. Can you put? <clears throat> Uh, winter lawn over St. Augustine? I wouldn't recommend it, no. I mean, you shouldn't – you really don't want to thatch or scalp St. Augustine lawns. Um, it, can, it can damage them and cause them not to, not to grow, respond very well. So, yeah, and, and they're real thick thatched anyway. And if you put, you know, more uh, vegetative material in it and water it a lot, you're just setting yourself up for probably some disease problems. I, I – I wouldn't recommend it. They don't stay that dormant that long. It doesn't seem to me. I, you know, there's still almost a little semblance of green in St. Augustine even through the winter time, to some degree. So I, I just kind of leave it alone. Okay. And <clears throat> our final talking point for today is, uh, believe it or not, roses. Well, a lot of times this time of year can be absolutely. I think some of the prettiest uh, roses are in the fall. And going on into Christmas time, um, <clears throat> what I recommend doing, if you haven't already, probably should have really done it by now, is to go in and kind of groom them. They get a little beat up in the summertime. Um, you know, you can you can have a lot of dead heads. You know, you get a lot of these little blooms that bloom through the summer, and go in and take those off. Maybe just give them a real light haircut. Don't cut them heavily. Uh, get some fertilizer on them. And just see how they respond. And some, a lot of times, because then we'll get into mid-January, we'll do our severe, heavy, dormant pruning on roses. There's a lot of times, boy, you just got to close your eyes and start pruning because you've got great, big, beautiful flowers. And the roses are fabulous in January. And it's just a, it's kind of a forced march to make yourself do it. Maybe have your neighbor come do it. But if you kind of clean them up, groom them up, give them a little fertilizer right now, 
um, you'll have some fabulous roses around Christmas time going into the new year. Which is funny because right after the new year is when you're supposed to cut them down to right. the bare root. <laughs> right. Which I say you, a, lot of, a lot of times you, know, you have to force people to do it because I, I don't blame them. The roses are beautiful. Um, but if you don't, you know, then you're going to end up with some pretty wild, rough, big old plants with lots of old wood on them. And we want to encourage and have new growth and new wood coming on rose bushes every year. So you just have to do it. Because it's the new growth that produces the bloom. Correct. Correct. So, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, it, it's just some, one of those things because of our lack of cold weather. Um, we don't get a lot of hard dormancy on things like rose bushes and even deciduous fruit trees. A lot of times they've just about lost their last leaves and they're starting to to want to bud and bloom again in the spring. So that's the other thing is kind of pay attention to to your deciduous trees. And when they've lost those last leaves, if they do need some work, that's the time to prune them is when they are dormant, when they've gone deciduous. But you don't have a big window there. It can sometimes our deciduous period can be pretty short here. And you don't think roses when you think Arizona, um, and you certainly most people probably don't think. Uh, you know, when you hear tombstone, you think the OK Corral. But the oldest, largest known rose bush in North America is in Tombstone, Arizona. <laughs> that and and one of the largest r- rose producers for rose bushes producers is here. In in Arizona, in central Arizona, huge rose production uh, facilities here, uh, for, and, and they ship all over the world. And there's a, a a little bit left of the the west side of the valley. I mean, if you go along the 303 or the Northern Parkway, it seems like every time I go there, yeah, there's a new million square foot warehouse going over stand up slab warehouses. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. my gosh, but yep. you. You can still on the northern parkway on the north side. They still have their roses there. And I think a little bit on the south side too. And as you were talking, the color wise, there'll be a time oh, here in the next couple months. Fabulous. You drive yeah. by and it's like here's this perfect row of purple, this perfect row of orange, this yeah. perfect row of white, this perfect row of red. It's uh, it, it's I I like seeing it. Yeah, it's beautiful. And and so so uh, at least one of those growers, Tyler Francis roses, or. Uh, yeah, Francis Rose has moved to down there, down now in Pinal County, but uh, so they're still they're still going. They're just a lot of that agriculture along that three hundred three corridor is getting getting moved to other places. So, well, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. It's a great time to get out there and plant just about anything and everything, uh, unless you've got a Saint Augustine lawn. Leave it alone <laughs> and don't overseed. Right, uh, and don't prune your deciduous trees yet. Wait till they go dormant. Jay Harper, the Farm's Choice, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Always a pleasure.